Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News, where today we have Gordon Chang, one of the most important thinkers on U.S.-China policy. You probably hear him uh, giving presentations at the London Center. You see him on Fox News, on all of the cable networks. He is uh, an influential thinker, and uh, long before Donald Trump's rise on, uh, among many issues, the wall uh, China. Uh, Gordon Chang was raising the red flag about China, what threats it poses, what threats it doesn't pose. And today, as we look at the world and see China's activism everywhere we turn, whether it's in Latin America, in Asia, in uh, Europe, in um, in uh, all the theaters, Africa, a huge input, uh, in, uh, footprint in Africa, uh, we want to get Gordon's take on all that's happening around the world and get us the very latest. He's a strategic thinker. You're going to enjoy this conversation. China is so, so, so important to the future of America. All right. Uh, we're going to get to that in a few minutes, and we're really looking forward to it. We're so grateful he's joining us today. But before we do, I want to point out a story. I told you I'd have a story uh, that I thought would break some ground on Russia. And quite frankly, I think it's a one of those stories you write occasionally to try to pull together a lot of exclusive documents you've gathered as a reporter, but uh, they've come out episodically. And so the bigger picture of when you align all the documents together isn't clear. And so I've been the custodian of a lot of the new declassified documents that President Trump released, that Congress released through Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and Devin Nunez and, and uh, Lindsey Graham and certainly Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson. And I stepped back and reread them all over the weekend. I mean, we're talking 10, 12,000 pages of documents I went back and reviewed. And, um, and then did some reporting to find out exactly what it is that uh, John Durham is doing. He does have an active investigation. I know there's a lot of naysayers, a lot of whiners, a lot of complainers, a lot of people upset. All of that is totally legit. I know people are frustrated. It's been a slow thing. But uh, I am seeing evidence of a still active investigation. And in fact, I talked to defense lawyers and witnesses and many people in the last few days after reviewing these documents. And I pulled together the roadmap that all of these documents now sitting in the public, now sitting on the Just the News website. You don't have to go any further than Just the News. What, what they really show, what is the case? And uh, what people have told me, the witnesses and lawyers and others that have interacted with John Durham is that he is looking 
to uh, build a case uh, against FBI executives to determine if they knowingly and willfully, therefore unlawfully, misled uh, the FISA court, the Congress, um, by withholding exculpatory evidence, by extending the investigation when there was no basis to do it. They had ruled out collusion and they kept uh, keeping it going, sometimes by leaks. Um, and uh, by also creating the illusion that there was evidence of Russia collusion when none existed. That is the crux. Does that amount to a fraud on the American people? Does it amount to a conspiracy? That's what they're building the case on. And there are all sorts of different acts that can result in a conspiracy. A leak of bogus information or a leak of grand jury information can be considered that if someone uh, withheld exculpatory evidence from the FISA court or Congress. That could be part of the conspiracy. If someone doctored a document, oh, by the way, someone did, Kevin Kleinsmith, remember him, the FBI lawyer, that can be an act in the conspiracy. So they're looking at that. And one of the things I picked up in my reporting is that um, is that Durham secured the cooperation of a, se a former senior FBI official. He's been essential to the investigation. Somebody who could had visibility into all of the seventh floor activities on FBI, that's the FBI leadership floor, uh, had visibility into the FISAs, had visibility into the interactions with the Justice Department, the FISA court, perhaps the news media. There's some evidence that that's uh, a focus. Uh, and that person has really helped pull together and, and, and put the context and the nuances into what was really going on in the FBI. And uh, that everyone who's interacted with Durham uh, believes that this still is an active criminal investigation. It's not just to write a report that there's the possibility of charges uh, forthcoming. So knowing that, knowing that that's the roadmap that people are hearing about and, and doing, what do all of the documents that John Solomon, Just the News, and all my good friends, uh, Sarah Carter and um, Molly Hemingway and, and uh, others who've contributed greatly, Greg Jarrett, of course, really important, um, what, when, you, when you put all the documents together, and if you're trying to build a conspiracy case, what do the documents show? And my story today, which has the headline, in case you're looking for it on the site, Durham file, a documentary roadmap to special counsel probe of rogue FBI pursuit of Trump. That's the headline. And uh, there are five bullet points or six bullet points down in the middle of the story that I think are so important. This is what the documents show if you're potentially looking at a conspiracy case. First, the FBI and President Obama were both warned in the summer of 2016, well before there was even a FISA warrant against Carter Page, well before that, that Hillary Clinton might be concocting a bogus Russia collusion scandal to vilify Trump and distract from her own email scandal. So they knew before Steele walks in the door, before all this evidence walks in, that in fact they had this problem. Two, the FBI was warned repeatedly that informal Trump campaign advisors Carter Page uh, or had been a CIA asset. That's very important. He wasn't a Russia stooge. He was a, he was a CIA asset. Three, both Page and George Papadopoulos were intercepted by an FBI informant making statements of innocence, not knowing they were talking to an informant. That's important. That was kept from the court. There was a spreadsheet showing that Christopher Steele's um, uh, dossier was predominantly uncorroborated, inaccurate, debunked. Uh, and that Steele had been paid by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, for his Russia collusion work, and that he harbored a bias against Trump. And that's a very important, right? They are also warned repeatedly that Steele was susceptible to Russian disinformation, and ultimately it was concluded that some of the information in his dossier was Russian disinformation from the Russian intelligence services. 
and the lead FBI agent investigating uh, Mike Flynn, a part of the investigation, had recommended early on shutting it down because there was no evidence of wrongdoing. All of that is now corroborated in the uh, documents that we've put in the public. And you can get my favorite documents. There's a list at the bottom of the story. You can download all of them, made them all public. But all of that is public. All of that is real. And that is the roadmap that guides the decision-making that John Durham will make as a U.S. attorney. There's probably other evidence, witness testimony, but that's the roadmap. And if you have that, you know exactly where John Durham may be going. Whether he brings charges or not, I don't know, but it is still active, and these are the documents. And what's amazing is all those revelations that I just think, the Steele dossier was bad, Carter Page was a CIA asset, uh, Hillary was concocting uh, a, a false uh, story, all of that was withheld from the FISA court. Now, that could be the key act of, of the conspiracy. If you're going to build a case, keeping the FISA court in the dark about essential things, if it was intentional, if it was willful, could become a crime. That is what, those are the sort of things that John Durham, according to my sources, is working on. All right, well, you can read the rest at uh, justthenews.com, as you always do. I'm very grateful that you check out our stuff. What's my favorite part about this story, all of my favorite Russia documents I've gathered over four years they're all in one list organized. I think you'll enjoy reading it. All right. When we come back for the commercial break, Gordon Chang, one of the great, great thinkers in U.S.-China policies, is joining us. We're going to talk to him about all things China. Can't wait to get started. Can't wait to uh, hear what he has to say today. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, one of the true experts on U.S.-China policy, somebody who has uh, long before Donald Trump made it fashionable to be talking about China and the U.S. relationship and its um, the potential threats and dangers and opportunities Gordon Chang was there, one of the most important voices over the last two decades on U.S.-China policy. Gordon, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you so much, John. Well, I have marveled at your work for many years and read it closely. And, and it seems as though most of the rest of the world and Washington has finally caught up to your thinking. And I, I wonder, as you step back now, I mean, early on, you were a lone wolf. There were very few voices uh, looking at this from the strategic lens that, that you were, in fact, even the ONA office, the Office of Net Assessment and Pentagon, didn't have the sort of views that they had now, uh, but you did. And what was it that you saw in the U.S.-China relationship that I kind of made you an early clarion for where we were going in the relationship? Well, the Chinese Communist Party has been inherently hostile to the United States from the very beginning. And it doesn't really matter what our policies are. And sometimes our policies have been very supportive of, of the party. Nonetheless, um, China is is very much against the U.S. And the reason is is simple. We're a beacon of freedom and democracy and liberty, and, and that is anathema to the party, um, which believes in totalitarianism. So for that reason alone, um, China is going to try to overthrow our government. 
um, but also because um, the United States is as powerful as it is, and we block um, China's malicious ambitions. So um, that is another reason why Beijing has been hostile to the U.S. You put that all together, and they is, call us an enemy. Um, in May 2019, People's Daily, the most authoritative publication in China, actually declared a quote-unquote people's war on the U.S., and these guys are not kidding. It's remarkable. And, I, you know, I look through when I first came to town, I was maybe a, a young AP reporter about five years into my Washington career. And the big debate was MFN, most favored nation status. Do we take the annual review of trade uh, rights with China and put it up against human rights record and other things and decide to extend it? And then all of a sudden we gave them full trading partners and people like Newt Gingrich were just as supportive as Bill Clinton in doing so. And then the thinking began uh, in the 2000s. Well, maybe we're not getting everything uh, we want out of this relationship. Uh, the trade deficit isn't fair. American jobs are being shipped over. And then by the time Donald Trump comes to rise, we, we begin to see people realize that this has been a 20-year strategic disaster because China's got a lot and the U.S. hasn't gotten a lot out of it other than some marketplace. When you look now, a guy like Joe Biden, who talked one way as, as most recently as 2017, China's our friend, they're not a threat. Now you see him adapting the, the position that you, Donald Trump, other people have. How did that happen? Well, I think that uh, Biden um, has a view of China, which is just outdated. I mean, it was formed decades ago when one could argue that it was in the interest of the United States to have, be supportive. I mean, the view then was that uh, the Cold War was over. Um, the world was heading inevitably towards democracy, free markets, and that China would adapt, that as it became stronger, it would decide that it was in its interest to support the international system. Now, that was possible, but unlikely for the reasons we just talked about. Right. So as, in fact, China became stronger, it became more hostile and belligerent and has been much more open in its um, aims, which have frightened people, and rightfully so. So that's where we are now, and Biden has not adjusted. We know that, John, because we saw his answers to Anderson Cooper at the CNN that's town hall. That's a great hall, point. Where he basically explained a lot of the um, indefensible, the China's right. crimes against humanity, genocide. But really what he was doing there was he was saying that China's just another country, and we've got to adapt to it. Right. And that yep. was absolutely wrong. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So, yeah, I think you suggested it was something like cultural mores. I mean, imprisoning people in a concentration camp isn't a cultural more. It's a it's a violation of human rights. And um, you're right. He's still he's still much more friendly, although he's begun to talk about the economic impact of China on the blue collar worker. I think that's a necessity for him to get elected uh, last year. When, when you look at the balance of power, you hear admirals in the Pacific fleet saying, you know, that uh, China is becoming the supreme, po uh, supreme power, in the, at least in the Pacific theater. What are we doing wrong or what do we need to change quickly to keep American pre uh, preeminence in the world? Well, first of all, um, we need to uh, restart our economy. Um, I mean, that is just absolutely essential because everything that we pay for comes from having a vibrant economy. Um, also, we need to be much stronger on democracy pr promotion. Um, with regard to what you were talking about in terms of Asia, um, we need more ships in the Navy. Um, specifically, I think we need more attack submarines. Um, but clearly, we have a Navy which has more tasks than it has assets. 
Um, we are working uh, much more closely with our friends and allies in the region. There's the Quad, which uh, Australia, India, Japan, and the United States. Right. And although it's not a formal alliance, it's actually working more closely together than the other big formal alliance that we have, which is NATO. Yep. Um, so um, President Trump actually started to operationalize the Quad, and that was absolutely a step in the right direction. Yeah, and and uh, sort of effective, or certainly preparing for all of the aggression that we began to see in the South China Sea. People now have woken up in America and seen that the great city of Hong Kong, that was uh, for many many decades a bastion of democracy, the bastion of free markets, they see these chronic crackdowns and they say, "Oh my gosh, how did that happen?" I guess we were asleep at the switch. But you're already leaning into the next great threat. You had a very provocative uh, tweet that, you know, I hear this from a lot of people in the intelligence community, so I know you're right over the target on this. You said that after the Olympics next year in Beijing, that it is highly likely that um, Taiwan, our other great ally, ally in, the, in, the, in the region, could uh, enter a very perilous moment. Describe what's going on there and why you make that assessment. Yeah. Um, Beijing is hosting the Winter Olympics, which ends on February 20. Um, it doesn't want to cause problems up until then because it doesn't want to give the international community another reason to boycott the games. Great point. So I think that although, you know, Beijing is capable of anything, um, it is unlikely that they will cause uh, problems uh, with Taiwan or with anyone else uh, of a major degree. But after the Olympics are over, all bets are off because uh, then you enter into this period of vulnerability. And so it gets a little bit worse because – Next year, the Communist Party is scheduled to hold its 20th National Congress, which will be probably be sometime October or November. Um, Xi Jinping is looking for an unprecedented third term as general secretary of the Communist Party, the right. most powerful post in China. And um, he's got some problems right now. Despite having a lot of power, he's got a lot of problems. And if he were, for instance, to, uh, quote unquote, recover Taiwan, um, he would have a assured third term. So that gives him personally, um, dramatically right? increases his personal incentive to cause a problem with Taiwan. Mm. If there was a recovery, meaning that they would take uh, take the island, uh, take Taiwan and, and, and put it under Chinese rule again after you know 70 years of independence or 80, I guess close to 80 years of independence, what, uh, what does the United States have to do under its obligations to Taiwan? What's the what's the obligated response? Well, we don't have a tr treaty with right. Taiwan. We have the Taiwan Relations Act, which is domestic U.S. legislation, which um, requires us um, to sell arms to Taiwan. Um, but the the obligations are sort of squishy, um, and so um, what we really have are obligations um, to others in the region. Uh, so, for instance, we've got a mutual defense treaty with Japan. Right. It would be extremely difficult to defend Japan if Taiwan were in China's hands, um, because the Taiwan and Japan, uh, both islands, country of islands, and they actually form an integrated chain. In, in fact, the southernmost inhabited Japanese island, Yonagumi, is actually south of Taipei. And on a clear day, you can see Taiwan's mountains from uh, Yonagumi, mm. which is a real indication how close these countries are. Right. And indeed, any uh, attack uh, from China on Taiwan would probably violate Japanese sovereignty by going through its waters and, and airspace. So that's how close these uh, two countries are. Mm. 
that's really important for us because we would, might be out of Asia. And some people actually think this, if China were to take over Taiwan. That we'd lose our, our stronghold in Asia, right? Yes. Taiwan, two reasons, John. One of them is that Taiwan's a very critically located um, piece of real estate. Right. It's where the South China Sea, East China Sea meets. It's the middle of America's Western defense perimeter. So if it were in China's hands, our critical line would be broken in two. Yeah. But there's an even more important reason, and that is China's attacking our democracy and attacking democracy in general every day. And we cannot afford to allow Beijing to take and snuff out uh, a free society anywhere, especially one as important as Taiwan. Yeah, that is so important. You're right. It, it, it's about our moral authority to lead, uh, our, our reputational street cred, <laughs> as well as the strong, uh, strategic stronghold. Let's suppose uh, Joe Biden wakes up a few months from now and sees the light and says, you know, I had it all wrong. Uh, I've been wrong on China. I got to step up my game. And he makes, he makes you national security advisor. What are the steps you're going to tell President Biden or whoever the president is? What would you tell him to do now to ward off the possibility of a Taiwan crisis? Well, I think the first thing would be um, for the president to declare in public that the United States will defend Taiwan. And I would start negotiations with Taipei for a formal mutual defense treaty. In other words, replacing wow. the Taiwan Relations Act. Right. Because if we were to do that, Beijing would huff and puff, but they're certainly not going to take on Taiwan because that means they're taking on the U.S., which means they're also taking on Japan, Austra Australia, and India, the quad partners. Um, that's a coalition that they can't beat. Um, so we would ensure peace and stability. And also, of course, uh, we need the Seventh Fleet, um, which Biden has already been doing. This is the one good thing that he's done. He's had the Seventh Fleet show the flag yep. in the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait. Yeah, we've been much more assertive. Um, he's been more assertive. He's actually had to have been because on January 23, China's uh, nuclear-capable H-6K bombers actually simulated an attack on the Theodore Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group, which was in the vicinity at the time, um, which is a real testing of the Biden administration. So he's responded on that, um, but he's had to. Um, but that would be, uh, you know, basically a public declaration would be, I think, um, the first step, um, and it would go a long way to ensuring peace in that part of the world. Yeah, that, that would be a dramatic step, and it would send a resounding message. What would you tell them to do about the Olympics? Send the U.S. Olympic team, negotiate with China, and say, listen, we'll send our team, but you got to make a commitment. Uh, do, do, would you use, because China's on the world stage, it would be an, a stinging rebuke if U.S. athletes didn't compete. Does Biden have some leverage over the Olympics to use that as a, a geopolitical negotiating tool? We have a tremendous leverage. Um, the IOC, International Olympic Committee, is in China's pocket. But I would say this. Um, first of all, the IOC should move the games from Beijing um, to a country not tainted by atrocities. Um, that's the first thing. Second would be um, to demand that the IOC bar China's Olympic teams from participation, um, not just in the Winter Games next year, but uh, continuing going forward. And the reason is, in 1963, the IOC banned South Africa's teams from Olympic competition because a significant portion of South Africa's population was not allowed to That's participate right. in sports. That's apartheid. Um, the same thing is true in China, where you have Tibetans, Kazakhs, Uyghurs, 
um, who are not effectively allowed to participate in sport. So the principle applies. Now, I hope that the IOC would do those two things. Uh, if it doesn't, then I would say we have no choice but to boycott the games. One thing, John, that people don't focus on, China is committing genocide. Secretary Pompeo made a formal determination of he that did. on January 19th. We are parties to the Genocide Convention of 1948, and that requires us um, to, quote, punish and prevent acts of genocide. And I believe that our obligations under that convention mean that we cannot legitimize um, the Chinese regime by going to the Olympics or other things if they are held in China. That's a powerful statement in, a, in quite a moment. And it's it's coming up really quick. I mean, people don't realize the Winter Olympics are only, you know, eight, 10 months away. And so these are big decisions. Do you, uh, when you look at Tony Blinken, who really, I think, is the architect of the foreign policy right now, uh, obviously Jake Sullivan is national security advisor. Do you, are uh, how have you read their early comments on China, uh, uh, Wuhan uh, and, and the virus? Do you see any signs of hope that, there's a get tough China movement inside the uh, Biden administration. Well, there are um, officials and also Kurt Campbell and others. Uh, who have Kurt Campbell, yep. um, but really, it, it doesn't matter because it's going to be Biden who is going to be making these decisions. And there are also um, officials with um, terrible views on China, including John Kerry, the climate czar. So um, we've got to be concerned about the direction. But it, it's really the direction is set by the president. He yeah. makes the policies. And no matter how good Blinken may or may not be, it very well may not matter at the at the end of the day. Yeah, this is a Joe Biden decision. You're right. That's a great point. Um, there was an amazing event uh, earlier this week um, out at the Nixon uh, Foundation. Hugh Hewitt had Mike Pompeo and Robert O'Brien and some of O'Brien's deputies asking questions of Henry Kissinger. And uh, it was just a fascinating event to watch. And there was a lot of praise for, you know, unexpected praise for Trump's foreign policy on Middle East. Kissinger very strong and ur urging Biden to double down on the Mideast Peace Agreements, the Abraham Accords. But there was a great question. I think it was uh, one of the uh, deputies to O'Brien asked Henry Kissinger, should America make a choice and grow closer to Russia as a counterbalance to China? And I think... Kissinger gave sort of a very careful answer. I couldn't quite tell which way he was leaning. But when we look at uh, geopolitical leverage, is there is it in America's interest to get closer to Russia? Obviously, they've given us a lot of heartache over the years. Uh, how would you create geopolitical counterbalancing to China's growing muscle? That's a great question. Um, uh, trying to get closer to uh, Vladimir Putin is one way to do it, but I think it's very hard because yeah. Putin and China's Xi Jinping really are on the same page. And Putin has done some things which um, we cannot accept, which is uh, annexing uh, Crimea. Right. Um, the other way to get at China, um, first of all, is we got to have tough policies with regard to China itself. But also, um, we could make an example of one of China's proxies. And here we could pick Iran or we could pick North Korea, um, maybe even Pakistan, um, and, and really put the hurt on. And I think that that would be a message to Beijing that we were willing to do the same thing with regard to China. Um, but there, there's a number of different ways to get at China. And I think that the theoretically, the way of going to Russia is like the best, but it's also the hardest. So yeah. I wouldn't start there. It's got a lot of peril to it, a lot of pitfalls. And of course, 
Uh, Putin is a is a KG guy, so you never really know what you're getting. Is not only a KGB guy, he's a KG guy, and and I think uh, you don't know whether what you get is uh, what you see or whether there's some other motive. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, the proxy war, uh, Iran, North Korea, uh, that would have a, a really profound effect. Um, the at the end of the Bush administration, particularly with Pompeo at State and um, uh, Barr at the Justice Department, there was a really large unmasking of what, what I would call a soft spy program inside the United States. The, all the academics that were you know, not disclosing their financial ties to China, obviously in a position to give China evidence. Uh, the, uh, most Americans probably don't have a grasp of just how detailed economic espionage from Beijing is. Has it ramped up? Have they gotten better? And is the United States been doing the right thing the last couple of years in, in really outing it? Well, we definitely have to out it because they've penetrated all institutions in our society. Um, the best example uh, or the one that comes to mind is um, China's Ministry of State Security got close to Eric Swalwell, not when he was sitting on the House Intel Committee, which, of course, would be of interest to right. Beijing, but when he was a council member on the Dublin City, California Council, which means that the, the Swallow is not the only person that they were grooming. Yep. They've been grooming dozens, hundreds, thousands. We don't know. Um, but also we do know that China has uh, exploited all points of contact with us um, to gather information. And so, therefore, um, we've got to take those points of contact down because the FBI is overwhelmed. Local law enforcement's overwhelmed. All of our institutions are overwhelmed by China right now. Yeah, such a great point. And, and then we have other threats we have to wake up to every day and worry about as well. Um, there was a report today that uh, earlier this week by the government commission. Uh, it's chaired by Eric Schmidt, the former chairman of Google. And uh, it, it talked about the progress that China has made on AI, the determined effort to get ahead of the United States. Uh, there was a similar report, I think, out of Stanford University saying that the number of papers written by China and AI now exceeds what American uh, scholars are writing about. The warning in the government report was that uh, China is determined in the next 10 years to supplant us as the leader of AI, which they see as the future technology uh, domination uh, or you know, uh, technology of domination for the future. What should we have our eye on the ball with with AI? Are we positioned well or are we a little bit behind? Well, I think we're our technology is probably better than China's, but China's AI overall is probably in a, in a better position than we are because AI runs on data. Right. And we're a democracy. We have restrictions on what people information um, companies can uh, collect what governments can collect. Uh, China has no such prohibitions. China's stealing the world's data through um, a number of different ways. And so um, their AI, even if its technology isn't as good as ours, is probably going to be superior because they're just feeding more stuff into their system. And that makes machine learning all the smarter. I mean, more data means more smartness when it comes to AI. Um, are there are there good voices, cogent voices? I mean, obviously, Eric Schmidt has really been banging the drum on this. Do you think there's uh, smart people in the in, in the DARPA, the Pentagon, all the places where this development's going on? Uh, uh, will they take this report as a clarion call, and will we up our game? I don't know the answer to that. Um, you think that we should? We have every reason in the world to, but um, you know, I, I you got to be disappointed in the way American elites have reacted to China. Um, so I'll just give you one example, Google, because um, you talked about Eric Schmidt. Um, Google has the partnership with Tsinghua University on AI. 
uh, in Beijing. Uh, that's China's MIT. It has an AI partnership with Peking University. That's China's Harvard. And it has the standalone Google AI Center in Beijing. And you can bet there's a lot of trans, a uh, lot of technology that is being transferred to China through those three um, partnerships. Um, so it, it just seems to me that um, we've got to get America's elite out of the business of supporting communist China. And when you look at that, uh, we've had a lot of great guests on here who have, have raised this idea that the reason elites have been so willing to uh, acquiesce to China's wishes, demands, uh, is just short-term greed, that there's a lot of money to be made in China right now, and therefore we're, the, our silence has been bought. That's what a lot of people say that have come on the show. Do you agree with that? Why is it that very you know we're a very smart country, we've got great leaders, great education institutions. Why has it been so hard for us to see what China is doing to us? I think it's uh, for that reason, um, greed. Also, um, at the end of the Cold War, we, you know, went through hubris. You know, you talked about Kissinger. Kissinger was saying, look, there are no plateaus in history. You got to keep struggling. Right. And we just went to sleep. Um, it was the end of history, as Francis Fukuyama famously said. So we thought none of this cared and none of this mattered anymore. We reduced political barriers to trade. We strengthened a communist regime when we really had no reason to do so. And so, yeah, of course, China is strong right now. And that has created its own momentum, as you point out, with greed. Um, I've been fascinated by this office, first because it came up in my Russia reporting, but I've really begun to study it more. And uh, there's been this institution uh, uh, called the Office of Net Assessment that's been in the Pentagon. It was run by one guy for 40 plus years. I think Andy Marshall might have been in his early 90s when he retired. Uh, but in the Obama years, there was a change of guard and there was a change of tone from the Pentagon's primary think tank on China about the threat that China posed. And there was a lot of studies coming out of ONA saying, you know, China's not really a problem. It, and it would parrot what Obama and, and Biden were saying. Uh, we're now to a point where almost everybody agrees that it has and was and has been a threat. Is there a, a moment here where we ought to reflect about whether this think tank serves a role, needs to be under new leadership, new thoughts? I, what, what do you give the what grade would you give ONA for its threat assessments on, on China? Um, not very high one recently um, yeah. for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, Andy Marshall was a great figure. He was, um, he was worried about China um, for a very long time ago. Um, but as you say, uh, during the Obama years, the Pentagon very much became political. Uh, climate change became the number one national security threat when everyone should have known it was China. Um, one could one could say that, you know, it was a very difficult time. And just to give you one example, in the in the 2014 North Korean hack of Sony Pictures Entertainment, right. um, these hacks were actually launched from Chinese IP addresses. China maintains the Great Firewall, which is the um, most sophisticated set of internet controls. So they saw the attacks going out from the North Korean attackers to Sony. They saw the hundreds of terabytes of data being exfiltrated from the United States back into China. And when the FBI in the Obama years was asked, was any other country involved in the North Korean cyber attacks? The answer from the FBI was no. The FBI was not telling the truth. I think it was not telling the truth mm. because of political dictates of the Obama administration. Mm. And Obama and, and Bush before him, George W. Bush, um, have a lot 
to um, explain um, in our relationships with China because neither of them defended the U.S. when it came to Chinese cyber attacks. They knew what was going on, and they either did nothing or the steps they took were designed to be ineffective. Yep. Yeah, just not even a slap on the wrist would have been an upgrade. I think that's that's what's so amazing about the last 20 years of history is the complacency. Uh, last question, because I know you got to run in there. Uh, but as we enter into the uh, post-COVID era, our economy gets back, we get back to, to the things. Mike Pompeo and, and many other voices that were in the Trump administration, Mike Pillsbury, a lot of different people, they've all been talking about as we get our economy growing, we can't become so... Uh, focused on internal politics that we don't keep the pressure in the world community against China. First, do you agree with that assessment? And then two, what are the pressure steps beyond the ones we talked about, you know, heading into the Olympics? Is there any other pressure steps uh, continuing the market? You know, they need capital, right? There's two things China needs. It needs capital and it needs a marketplace in the United States to sell its wares. Well, do you see anything in the market space that should be done in, uh, to, to send a message to China in the next six, eight months? Uh, first of all, we should not be in, uh, uh, not allow American portfolio investors into China, um, certainly not into military-linked companies, but not into state enterprises, right. and I think not into private companies as well for a number of reasons. Um, we should not allow Chinese companies to raise money in our markets. Um, we should be um, imposing high costs on China for the continued theft of U.S. intellectual property to the tune of perhaps $500 billion, maybe even $600 billion a year. Wow. Um, we need to stop feeding the beast. Um, we've been doing that. It's our fault. We can stop it. We absolutely have to. Yeah, that's a great point, IP, IP theft. When I first came to Washington, we were talking about it, and we're still talking about it two decades later, which means we didn't do a very good job tying it up. Gordon, I could talk to you all day. Your your uh, thinking, your writing, your uh, your assessment of the world is so important. And I hope as this year goes on, we'll get you back on the show. But um, we're at Just the News. We know China's the most important foreign policy issue facing America in the next 10 years. So thank you for all you do and for the time you spent with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much, John. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I would love to come back. All right. We're going to take that as a planned invite. We're going to get back to you. <laughs> All right, Gordon, have a good day, and thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
right, folks, a lot to think about there, right? Gordon Chang, big strategic thinker, one of the more important voices on China today. And uh, there was a time when Gordon Chang seemed to be in a minority uh, position inside the academic world, inside the national security strategy world, but his thinking has become predominant across the Pentagon, across uh, the State Department, certainly throughout the Trump administration. And as we noted, uh, some places, even in the Biden administration, taking note of the different posture we need. A lot of thoughts. Uh, a lot of people ask me all the time, uh, you have these great guests and we want to stay in contact with them. And how do we do that? Right. And that's a that's a great question. So if you want to stay in touch with Gordon Chang, you can follow him at at Gordon G. Chang at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Uh, I follow him all the time. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts every day. Uh, keep if you want to stay surfing at the top of the China, most important things. Gordon's Twitter feed is fantastic. So follow him at, at Gordon G. Chang whenever you want. Uh, I do. And it is uh, uh, content always worth following. But really a tremendous thinker. All right, folks, we're about to go and wrap it up for the day. We'll be back tomorrow with some good stuff. Before we do, I've got two amazing dogs at home. Yes, I love dogs. I have a cabin out in the Shenandoah Mountains. I love to go out with them, run the um, run the land, uh, let them uh, go hunting with me and doing other fun things. And so we've got two great dogs, Bentley and Bailey. Bentley and Bailey, they're great, great uh, folks. And um, one of the things that if you want to pamper your dogs, you want to take good care of them, my friends at Gentle Giants Dog Food, well, they've got the solution. The company's owned by uh, actor Burt Ward. You don't remember? Robin to Adam West Batman. Pretty big guy, right? Burt Ward. Burt and his wife have been uh, into large dog rescue for 25 years. There's a video of him on Ellen explaining about the work they've done. It's really pretty amazing. You got to go check it out if you get a chance on YouTube. But Gentle Giants dog food is available through Chewy, through Walmart. I get it through Chewy. Walmart, Target, Petco, grocery stores. It's also carried in Canada. It's for all size dogs. They've got great quality, great quality, half the price, Twice the life is their motto. I love that. Um, and they take a lot of the money generated from their dog food sales and they put it back into the rescue of dogs, as they've described many times. If you want to spoil your dog and also chip in to make a difference for animals across the world, Gentle Giants Dog Food, check them out today. Wherever dog food sold, Chewy, Walmart, Target, Petco, grocery stores. Uh, they're great folks. They help support this show. I tell them you love them. If you got a dog like I do, check it out. It's uh, time well spent. All right. Uh, we've spent enough of your time today. When we come back we tomorrow, we're going to have a couple of scoopy things for you. Stay tuned. We're working on some important investigative projects. We'll have a great guest tomorrow. Might do a roundtable, uh, bring in a few people and, and uh, talk about some of the news and try to make sense of it this week. Remember, go check my story out on Russia. The most important documents to the John Durham investigation up on justthenews.com. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. God bless this great country as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports at justthenews.com. Thank you.